irreverent, entertaining, cool. You're listening to LA Talk Radio. You're listening to Answers for the Family with Alan Cardoza and Matt Polachek, only on LA Talk Radio. Well, welcome to another edition of Answers for the Family. I'm your co-host, Dr. Matt Polachek. And for those of you who have been listening, sending in questions and comments, thank you so much. And please continue to help spread the word that every Monday from 11 a.m. to noon Pacific time, this show will bring you special guests that can inspire, educate, and in some cases entertain, while bringing answers and options to making your lives happier, healthier, and more successful. Now, this show will address issues such as locating your runaway teen, family crisis intervention, building self-esteem, dealing with addiction, and so much more. We're going to introduce you to talented authors, caring people, and new innovations in the area of health, security, and fun for you and your family. With our experience working with families in crisis, we've been fortunate to meet and work with some of the top professionals in many of the helping fields who are all working to make this world a better place for us all. And those of you expecting to hear Alan's voice today, well, he's actually lost it. He's dealing with a minor voice issue. I basically think he ran himself down running across the country. He was working on another one of his runaway cases, and he was in Chicago and New Orleans. He just keeps stamping that passport all over the place, and uh, it does remind us of the difficult work that he does um, for his investigative work and for West Shield. And for the listeners that don't know what Alan does, he spends his days rescuing adolescents who get caught up in human trafficking rings, adolescents who run away, adolescents with serious mental health problems. And his company, West Shield Transport, um, is a is a is a great company that takes adolescents and gets them to treatment programs across across the country. You know, pr- kids with a- addiction issues, mental health issues. So, Alan, if you're out there listening, I hope you get your voice back, and um, we'll we'll see you back in the studio next week. Today, we're very lucky because we have an actual in-studio guest, and I'm excited to introduce Paul Aubin. At five years of age, Paul was informed by his parents that he was an adopted child. He couldn't believe what his parents were telling him. They were not his real birth parents. The Aubins adopted Paul from a home for unwed mothers in New England when they found out that they couldn't have their own children. Paul went on to lead a relatively normal life in the 60s and 70s, growing up on Long Island, New York. He didn't give much thought to the circumstances surrounding his adoption until a health scare later in his life motivated him to go and search for his birth parents. A journey that would be filled with twists and turns, leading to a major cover-up to protect the identity of Paul's birth parents involved in a scandal within the Catholic Church. In his autobiography, Secrets of the Father, Paul speaks to the missing pieces of the identity puzzle that many adoptees across our country experience. Their sense of abandonment, rejection by their birth parents, and trying to answer the question, who am I? And the mystery of not knowing any links to your past or family of origin. This has long life implications, obviously, and Paul's personal journey is absolutely amazing with an outcome that you are not going to believe. And to be here in studio, I'm so excited to have you, Paul. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you, Matt. Appreciate it and uh, appreciate this opportunity to share my story. I hope it has, has an impact on people out there. And you've got the, the, the book and other things, but let's, let's just start with what inspired you to suddenly search for your birth parents at 33 years of age. Yeah, well, I was blessed to have uh, some really uh, loving 
adopted parents, and so I didn't, really didn't give a whole lot of thought to uh, my birth parents and my history there. Although I, I will say there are, you know, there are some missing pieces to the puzzle that you often wonder about as an adoptee or even a foster child. But where it really came to a head was when I was 33 years old. I was in the pharmaceutical industry here in Los Angeles, and I found out that I had uh, high cholesterol. I went to a, uh, a medical convention at the L.A. Convention Center uh, with my colleagues from the pharmaceutical industry, and they were doing testing on cholesterol, and mine was off the charts. It was 307, mm. and this was just at the beginning stages of uh, cholesterol coming out early 90s, and there wasn't a whole lot of uh, research on it, but I knew that 307 was way too high, and I was pretty fit at the time, and so I was alarmed that it was that high. Um, so I went to see one of the cardiologists that I was calling on in Burbank, and uh, he, he went, th- went through the test with me and, and said that I had uh, something that was, um, wasn't diet-related. It was really more uh, in my genes, and he really encouraged me to find my birth parents. So that was really the um, kind of the, the motivation that I needed uh, from my physician to, to find my birth parents at that time. And it wasn't a time, you know, where we had Google and Internet and all these things. So how, how would you even start the search like that? Yeah, that, that was the big question for me back then because it was early 90s. Uh, you couldn't just put in Google, who are my parents, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> so Can you do that now? I, 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 you, you might get... get Better results faster, but certainly not back then, that's for sure. Um, so a, a real interesting thing uh, that actually sparked my, uh, my faith back then. Uh, back then I was, uh, uh, I was raised in a Catholic church in Long Island, New York, and uh, that just was not um, working for me from a connection standpoint. Mm. Um, and I actually ended up leaving the church when I went away to school to Ohio State. And uh, for 20 years, I was all focused on my, on myself, you know, on my career. And then you know, fast forward, you know, to the age of 33, and uh, I was told by my doctor not to, uh, you know, to, to go ahead and find my birth parents. And so three weeks went by, and I was looking and searching and trying to figure out how to do this. And I went to a, uh, a meeting at the Overland Park Marriott. I was working for a pharmaceutical company back then out of Kansas City. Mm-hmm. And uh, they interviewed me, and I just happened to be walking past the, uh, the marquee that lists all of the, uh, the meetings in the hotel that day, in the lobby. And at the very top, it said, uh, International Adoptee Search Foundation. Wow. I mean, you talk about faith and, and coinc- yeah. I mean, coincidences and stuff. Yeah, crazy. So I, I just couldn't believe that. And it seemed to be like an answer to uh, all of my issues at the time. So I went running down to this ballroom to meet the people. Um, and there was a conference there with a lot of other adoptees like myself listening to guest speakers and ran into women at the registration desk. And I told them my dilemma that I had this, um, it was actually called familial hyperlipidemia, where your liver just kicks out way too much cholesterol. And it's kind of a rare thing. Mm. And she said, uh, well, you know what we have? Um, somebody in New England, uh, where you're from, where you were born, who does searches. Wow. Her name is Nancy. And I said, are you kidding me? And, and so uh, everything was kind of falling together with my search. Yeah. And I left that hotel just on cloud nine thinking, wow, I, I just might have a chance here to find my birth parents. So that, that was the beginning of my journey. And I was pumped up right then and there to uh, 
at the time, it was, I just want to find from my medical reasons. But then as you get into it, you realize that you want to uncover all of those questions that you had growing up as an adoptee of not knowing who your birth parents are, why they gave you up for adoption. Do you have brothers and sisters? Uh, what's my nationality? Um, do they want to see me? Uh, and just a lot of questions that um, adoptees have. Uh, and I know the book you know. gets into a lot of that. Yes. And I and I and I definitely I want to spend a lot of time today on on what that that part was like for you. Mm-hmm. Um, but but first, t- t- <laughs> you, you find this woman, you know, serendipitously or you know however you want to look at it. Yeah. Well, t- does it take years for to find your parents at that point, or how long? What happens? Yeah, good question. So from there, I instantly called Nancy. And she lived in New England, like I said, and she uh, was delighted to hear from me. And she apparently is an adopted child herself. She has adopted children. Her husband passed away at an early age and left her um, some funds to go ahead and um, fuel her passion, which was to help people like me find their birth parents. And so she said, well, Paul, you know, I've done over 2,000 searches, and it'll probably take me anywhere from 30 to 60 days, 90 days tops Okay, to find your... So you're half excited. I, yeah, and, yeah. Like, okay, that's reasonable. I've been waiting 33 years, right? <laughs> yeah, what's what? Three more days. Well, 90 days goes by and she has no luck. She has, she's getting nowhere and she calls me and she says, Paul, out of the 2,000 searches I've done, this has been the most difficult. Mm. Um, every stone I turn, there, there's problems. There, there seems to be... Uh, empty files, people aren't talking, people aren't comfortable talking about this. Mm. There's something else going at, on. At work here. Not at work here, yeah. And t- people just aren't being cooperative uh, like they have been in the past with me. So they're hiding something. And so that's where she kind of uh, alluded to the fact that there is a cover-up here as to who my birth parents really are. The story thickens. The story thickens, <laughs> yes, yeah. Um, so from there, um, several months went by, and she finally called me, and she said, Paul, I spoke to somebody in the State Department in Massachusetts. They looked up your date that you were um, given up for adoption, and they have uncovered your birth name. And that was kind of a uh, alarming thing for me to find out that I actually had a birth name different than Paul Auburn. Yeah, what was that feeling like? So that, that was really strange. It just felt like an out-of-body experience. Yeah. Uh, it was kind of good news, bad news, you know. Um, so my name was uh, Michael Patrick Johnson mm. at the time, Yeah, when I was first born. So, uh, so she pursued my mother uh, first, uh, and then my father later on. But um, she gave me a call and said, why don't you go ahead and call your birth mom? I found her. And she's living in Worcester, Massachusetts. And why don't you call her? And here's what you need to do. You need to understand the fact that um, she's going to be alarmed, mm-hmm. obviously. And uh, this is what I recommend you do. So what I ended up doing was calling her and uh, prepared for it for quite a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, Did you prepare for a positive and negative kind of reaction? Or? You know, at the time, I, that's a really good question. I just prepared for the positive because... For years, I envisioned my mother as being this wonderful person who wanted to hear from me. Yeah. Right? But the expectations of us adoptees going back to find our birth parents, uh, this has been one of my learnings, is that uh, they don't necessarily want to uncover all of that Mm. from the past in in several cases. Mm. So 
when I gave her a call, I said, hi, this is Paul Aubin. Um, you don't know me, but I'm calling long distance from California, and uh, I'm doing some research on my family tree, and I think we may be related. Mm. And so there was a long pause, <laughs> as you might this imagine. This wasn't a telemarketer calling her. <laughs> no, this wasn't right, no. Uh, in fact, I called the first time, and a young woman answered the phone who uh, I just assumed was my half-sister. I mean, I can't imagine going through your head when you're on yeah. this phone call. Yeah, it's just so I actually ended up hanging up because I wasn't prepared for that. Yeah. And I called back a couple of days later, and after I asked her that question, um, she said, uh, well, no, no, I, uh, I don't know. I, she was really fumbling and mumbling around mm-hmm. the whole conversation. She was caught her off guard. I said, well, does, um, is your maiden name Johnson? And she said, no, no, uh, there's a couple of other ladies around the neighborhood, but no, that's not my name. I said, well, I'm sorry, I must have the wrong person. Uh. And I was really disappointed, but my private investigator, Nancy, said they will probably deny it Immediately, so she literally did deny. She denied everything. Oh, yeah. So my the air was kind of out of my balloon, and I was ready to hang up. And she said, "Well, wait a minute. Um, help me understand why you're searching." And I told mm. her, and I said, "It's for medical reasons, and my doctor wants me to find out so he knows how to treat me." Mm-hmm. Um, and then she went on to say, "Well, where were you raised?" And I said, Long Island. And she goes, where do you live now? I said, California. She goes, do you have any children? So anyway, for 45 minutes, she went on. Like a check, background check almost. Background check, yeah. But it was much more sincere and general. Like she really genuinely wanted to know mm-hmm. about my background. So that, that right then and there told me that she probably was my mother. Mm-hmm. But she didn't want to admit it for some reason. And so she said, you know what? Um, you seem like a good nice young man, uh, and you're doing this for a good reason, um, I'd be willing to cooperate. You know, there's two other Margaret Johnsons living in Worcester, Massachusetts, and I'm often getting their mail and phone calls. Huh. And I thought to myself, well, that's interesting, because 45 minutes ago, she said her name wasn't Johnson, <laughs> right? Smoke and mirrors. Yeah, a little smoke and mirrors. So, uh, again, Nancy told me that this might happen, and I didn't want to say, hi, Mom, you know, and just startle her. So she said, you know, if you come to Worcester, I'd be more than happy to speak to the other two Margaret Johnsons and try to uncover something for you. Wow. So I got off the phone elated. because, I, In fact, I told her before I got off the phone, I, I was coming to Massachusetts the following week on business, which was a little white lie. But, right. You know, I well, you had to, her pinned down at that point. Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to come up with some kind of a business reason to be there. Right. This is unbelievable. It was crazy. So I, I get there, and uh, she had this home on top of this hill, little blue-collar you know, house and little hill. And uh, I was, it was so exciting for me to actually see where my birth mother lived, mm-hmm. you know. And so you were sure it was your birth mom? I, I felt pretty sure just based okay. on the questions and the fact that she didn't completely tell the truth about her last name. And then later on, she said, yeah, my name is Johnson. Um, and so I said, well, I gave her a call when I got there. I said, hi, I'm here. Uh, when do you want to meet? And she said, Paul, you know, I've been giving this some more thought and you have no idea what you're getting into. Hmm. Uh, there's a lot of sensitivities around your story. Uh, and there's a lot of people that can be hurt by you uncovering the truth. The plot thickens. Yes. So I'm thinking, what the heck, right? Uh, what, what is going on here? And I, I was really disappointed because I flew 3,000 miles. 
So I said, well, I, I need to respect that. Mm-hmm. I'm sensitive to that, and you've got my phone number, and if uh, you ch- have a change in mind, let me know. But you just need to know I'm doing this all for the right reasons, mm-hmm. and I'm not looking to uh, uncover any anything here that I, except for my health issues. Were you crushed at that point? I was, I was crushed. I really yeah. was. But I, I'm a young man of, at the time, young man of persistence. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so I wasn't going to give up. I actually drove to the bottom of the hill where her house was the next morning. And I just wanted to see my mother drive by in the car yeah. and get a good look at her because I never saw her. Right. Um, so I waited and I thought I saw her pull out of her driveway and take off. And uh, as it turned out, that wasn't her. Mm. I followed her all the way through to the schoolhouse, and uh, I knew she didn't work there. She actually still works at a church. Mm. So I, I was following the wrong car, <laughs> right? <laughs> For those out there, you got to get this book, obviously. Yeah. So then I'm in Worcester, Massachusetts at 8.30 in the morning, and, uh, well, now what do I do? Well, as it turned out, my adopted parents way back in the day um, found out they couldn't have children. They went to their best friend, this woman, Chris, who mm-hmm. lived in Worcester, and said, Chris, um, would you mind speaking to your brother? Her brother made these rounds through these homes for unwed mothers. Mm-hmm. And uh, he was a kind of a volunteer doing that. And I said, you know what, Chris, could you tell your brother uh, that I'm in town because perhaps he can help? He was there from the very beginning. You it's, are persistent. Right? So <laughs> uh, I, I was just, I had this energy about me to really find the truth, but to do it in a respectful way so that I wasn't hurting, people. uncovering things, hurting people. I was trying not to be selfish about it, but I needed those answers. So she said, yeah, Ted would love to hear from you. Mm. And uh, you haven't seen him in quite a while. And, uh, you know, why don't you give him a call? So I called him and he was so excited to hear from me. He said, Paul, Paul, good to hear from you. What are you doing? I said, well, I'm in town. Do you want to have some lunch? And so we met and we had lunch. And uh, the night before that, I met Nancy at her house and she suspected that Ted was my dad, that he Mm. was the reason for the cover-up. Well, as it turns out, the reason why Ted would cover this up is because he's a Catholic priest. Ah. The the plot thickens. The plot thickens. And he was an old family friend. So you had actually met him that day and had no clue. And had no clue. But Nancy put a bug in my ear that it might be. So here's Nancy, her persistence the night before. She said, Paul, I'm going to drive to the rectory and see if he looks like you. Mm. I'm going to just ask for directions and see if he can help. Well, she came back and she was absolutely stunned. She said, I think it might be him. Wow. And I was floored because he was a family friend. He baptized me as a baby and he served me communion. Wow. At church all these years. Wow. And uh, And did you remember him as a child? I did. Okay. I did. Yeah. Because whenever I went to see my Aunt Chris... Uh I typically saw the rest of the family, mm-hmm. which turned out to be my birth family. Right, but I mean, obviously, at the, it. at the time, the Catholic Church would never... I mean, it, this is a, co- a true cover-up. Yeah, absolutely. So here's the funny part of the story. Um, I go out to lunch with him, and I'm looking at all of his features, all of his mannerisms, mm-hmm. uh, every tone of voice, 
and it does look like I'm looking. You ever see that commercial where the gentleman is sitting on the airplane and is he himself, 20 years later, sits next to him? Yeah. That's yeah. what it was like. It was like s- sitting next to me. In fact, the age that I am now is the age that he was when I met him. Oh, because I was going to say, what are you going to look like in 20 yeah, years? Yeah, this is it. Yeah, so I'll look great on radio. Yeah. <laughs> so um, we go out for lunch, and he takes me to this restaurant way out on the edge of town. Mm-hmm. And then we get to the hostess stand, and he says, can you find us a table in the corner? We want some privacy. And my impression of that was I looked so much like him, mm-hmm. and here he is, a priest. Uh, he wanted to make sure that the parishioners didn't see him. See him, right? right. With me. That was my impression, anyway. But so, he still wanted to. He was still willing. I mean, yeah, he was very excited to meet with me, um, and he orders um, salmon with no butter, hmm. uh, whole wheat bread. Um, oh, I think I know where this is going. Yes, brown rice. You okay? And I looked at him and said, Ted, Father Ted, this is uh, an amazing diet. What's going on? And he said, well, I've got this issue with cholesterol. <laughs> so I was floored, right? <laughs> oh. And I said, you know, I'm in the pharmaceutical industry. I do research on this, and I'm just curious, where are you at? He said, I'm at, well, without medication, I'm at 307. <laughs> and I goes, Paul, I know that's high, but it's well controlled on a medication called Mevacor. And uh, I'm at 170, 180 right now, which is good. Right. So I said, so it's controlled and medication. You didn't have a heart attack or anything. And, and uh, he goes, no, no, I'm good. So this trip is serving two purposes for you. Yes. <laughs> and so now meeting him, is there's more confirmation because of the way he looks and the mannerisms. And now he's got cholesterol exactly the same number as mine. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm beginning to believe that Nancy's theory is correct. Mm. And I'm kind of freaking out. Yeah. Right? yeah just a little bit. So uh, he said, Paul, what are you doing in town? I said, well, I'm here on business, but I'm also doing some research on my family tree. Mm-hmm. And he goes, oh, why? And I said, well, I just happen to have cholesterol, high cholesterol, just like yours. And I, my doctor encouraged me to find my birth parents. And there was he was really uncomfortable, long pause, and... Uh, so I wasn't going to try to push him any further than that. Right. And uh, so uh, in the end, after that conversation, I said, you know, whatever you can do to help me, you were there from the very beginning. Uh, I think I might have found my mother. Uh, and I thought maybe you could confirm that because you were there. You brought me from the home front when mothers mm. back then in the 50s. Right. Uh, from her. Uh, can you confirm that it was her, uh, Margaret Johnson? And he said, well, Paul, you know, I've got my vows, and I can't reveal that, but I think you're on the right track. Interesting. Yeah. You know, I mean, this story, it's so incredible. It's so exciting. I I really want to find out whether you, she ever admitted it, he ever admitted it, but unfortunately, we're going to have to wait because we're going to take a quick break and come right back (laughs) with Paul Aubin. Founded over 25 years ago to meet the needs of families in crisis, West Shield specializes in resolving adolescent issues that negatively impact the family. From preteen to young adult, we are experienced and qualified to help. We offer solutions which include referrals to a network of top professionals internationally that we work very closely with in the fields of educational consulting, psychology, and psychiatry. 
our in-home crisis intervention care program helps to stabilize families and bring effective resolution. We are supported by our licensed investigation company that enables us to offer legal and expert services for locating runaway teens and more. Our therapeutic transportation services help to ensure that adolescents in crisis are safely provided transportation to specialized schools and programs with unmatched experience and success. Simply put, West Shield Adolescent Services is the best solution when your family is facing personal crisis. Call 1-800-899-8585 and let us help you. Well, welcome back to Answers with the Family. I told you we got a good one today with Paul Aubin. Paul, uh, I think the listeners and myself, uh, we want to know, you sit at this table, you, you get an inkling from your, your potential father, your potential mother. Tell us what happens. Okay. So from, from there, and again, during this whole uh, discussion with him, I really am trying to be sensitive to the fact that um, I, was, I benefited from being well-prepared for this discussion and he's just getting hit across the head with a two by four if in fact he is my birth father so I'm really trying to be sensitive to that and I think that's important for any adoptee that looks for their birth parents is to be sensitive to their um, issues with us so we're uh, having a nice lunch Uh, we both ordered salmon with (laughs) no butter and whole wheat uh, bread and all that good (laughs) stuff pretty boring meal but uh, good for our cholesterol and our health and he pretty much confirmed to me that uh, he was my dad just from the reaction that he had uh, to why I was in town and then also uh, confirming my birth mother in such a way with his nonverbal cues. But um, So I was getting a lot of, of the missing pieces of the puzzle answered, but not confirmed verbally. Um, so I wanted to be respectful to that. I said, Ted, you know, it was great meeting with you. I'm heading back to uh, Worcester and then I'm taking a ferry across to Long Island to see my, uh, you know, see my parents, my adopted parents. He goes, well, you know, be sure to tell him I said hello, because he grew up actually with my adopted parents. Wow. He went to elementary school, junior high, high school with them. So there he was very good friends with them. So then I'm driving back to Worcester. He was in Springfield. When you're driving back, are you elated? Are you um, like, what's going on? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The emotions are flying. Yeah. And uh, I'm not a real emotional guy, you know, um, but I was in tears. Uh, for a lot of reasons, um, to find out at the age of 33, 34, who your birth parents are and to actually meet your birth parent for the first time and have a dialogue with them is a feeling that um, is just elation. Yeah. But then there were more questions, right, with that. So I pull into the Worcester Marriott after meeting with him and there's a blinking light on my telephone. Remember back then, there's no cell phones, keep in mind. And uh, there's a blinking light on the, on the hotel phone, and there's a message. And it's from him. And he says, Paul, I'm not sure if you have the flexibility to spend more time here, but I would love to spend more time with you. Perhaps tomorrow you can come back to Springfield. What a call. Right? What I was like, call. wow. I was like, okay, so he's going to, he's thought about it. Uh, as a priest, he's prayed about it, and he wants to reveal uh, the truth. So I was excited. I was more than happy to extend my trip. And uh, I drove back to Springfield the next day, and we met. And we took the, I'll never forget this drive. We took a drive through the, uh, I believe it's called the Mohawk Trail through New England. Mm. And uh, just a gorgeous trail over wooden bridges and autumn leaves and just a beautiful tr- drive through western Massachusetts, New Hampshire, Vermont. 
and we just spent the day together and I was hoping and uh, that he would reveal yeah you know who he was but he didn't want to do that still he just wanted to spend time with me and that that was so evident and uh, every ounce of my being wanted to pursue it more yeah but some something or someone told me no Paul don't rush it when he's ready he'll share with you but for me it was an unforgettable experience to spend a full day with my birth dad and what I realized was that we had so much in common um I had the linkage there with him, you know, the natural link with him that I didn't have with my adopted dad, unfortunately. And we had just just a glorious day together. So, but the frustrating part was I left there and still didn't really know. You wanted that confirmation. Yeah, I did. And Nancy shared with me, Paul, just don't rush it. You know, the good news is you're moving the ball closer to the goal line and he's spending time with you. Enjoy it. Yeah. Enjoy the moments. So uh, I went back to California after that trip, and I was elated. I really felt like I knew who my parents were, but it wasn't really confirmed. And I wrote a letter to my Aunt Chris, and I just said to her, Aunt Chris, um, I suspect your brother of being my birth dad, and uh, just wondering if you know anything about this. And I just assumed that he would have told her, Mm -hmm. and apparently he didn't. So, so the, he, the, there's still this cover-up going. There's this cover-up okay. going. Yeah, so she didn't know anything. And I kind of let the, you know, the, I let, you know, the, I don't know, the worms out of the can here. I don't know. But um, she ended up getting really upset about it and drove over to see her brother and said, you know, Ted, you owe it to Paul and his family to be honest with mm-hmm. him. And so six months went by. Oh. And I was on pins and needles the whole time. And my Aunt Chris was really my champion to uncover the truth. Yeah. And so he called me on voicemail. I was about to give a presentation at a hotel in San Diego. And remember the days of the phone banks where you you don't have cell phones. So you go to the phone bank and you get your voicemail messages or your pager goes off, Mm -hmm. right? Uh, Back in dinosaurs, you know, roam the (laughs) earth. And it was him on the voicemail. And he said, uh, hi, Paul, this is uh, Father Ted. Um, I received the letter from, that you sent your Aunt Chris. It was a very nice letter. I understand where you're coming from. And you need to know that all of your suspicions about me being your birth dad are correct. Oh. And I know this isn't the best way to tell you, but I felt like you needed to know. Why don't you fly to Boston? We'll spend more time together, and I'll share everything with you that you deserve to know, but you need to promise me that you keep this between us because if this gets out, mm-hmm. it'll be on the front page of the Boston Globe. Right. It'll be everywhere. But, but I mean, that wasn't even, that made no difference to you, right? No, no, I didn't yeah. care. No, so I kept it to myself, although my boss and just a couple of very close friends mm-hmm. uh, knew about this and they were kind of cheering me on. And that's, that's another thing. If you go through your search, uh, you really ideally want to have people in your corner supporting you because it is such an emotional journey that it's hard to do on your own. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, so uh, so I went, back, I went back there and uh, he shared everything with me and said that um, he fell in love with a woman in the church and uh, wasn't intending to do that, um, exercised poor judgment, and uh, uh, before he knew it, she was coming to him saying she was pregnant with me back in 1958. Hmm. So 
he spoke to a priest friend of his um, who was much more seasoned and senior than him uh, as to what to do. And you can imagine what he felt, you know, at that point. So he encouraged him to go to the bishop. And the bishop was really disappointed with the news and said, well, uh, you'll need to serve out a penance for this. Mm. And he was so disappointed because apparently my father was uh, had a lot of charisma in the church. He had a, a following. Got people loved him. He, so this is a huge risk for him. This is huge, mean, huge. But he was willing to do it for you. He was willing to do it. So he ended up actually uh, serving out his penance in Vietnam on the front lines as a chaplain. Wow. And uh, became a war hero. And then he became the, the head chaplain at Arlington National Cemetery. So... Uh, he came out of this um, serving his penance, doing his time, and, and uh, coming out of it pretty good, right? Yeah. Meanwhile, my mother was shunned by the church as a scarlet woman, mm. as the church, with all due respect for everybody out there, the church whore, unfortunately, mm-hmm. and uh, lived a life of bitterness and resentment and um, abandonment, uh, rejection, and still to this day, um, the stories kind of surround her. Wow. So she, that one event in her life, uh, not only losing a son, but losing her identity and friends and family, uh, it kind of ruined her for life. So it, her, her part of the story is very, very sad. Um, and did she, I mean, did she admit that she was your mom at one point? Or? Well, then that's, yeah, so I'll switch over to my mother's yeah. story. So I... I uh, uh, after she told me that she didn't want anything, anything to do with this, and I did confirm who my dad was. Mm-hmm. And it uh, makes sense she didn't, based on what happened. Right, based on all of that, yeah. I could see now why she wouldn't yeah. want to share it. Well, three years go by, and I'm working for a pharmaceutical company, and uh, they sent me up to Harvard Business School in, outside of Boston, in mm-hmm. Cambridge, to take some postgraduate classes. And I'm there at a cafe, probably having... More than one glass of wine. And um, salmon with no butter. Uh, right, right. <laughs> but I'm getting up the courage to call her. Okay. Because I'm not in that part of the country very often. And uh, so I gave her a call, and I said, hi. Uh, her name is actually short for it's Peggy. I said, Peggy, um, I just want you to know I'm here in town. I'm not, never here, and I would love to give you an opportunity to see your your son. He just took a swing. Just took a swing. Love it. Uh, yeah, it was uh, admittedly uh, not the smartest thing to do, but it was. I felt like at the time it was the right thing to do, and in, in the end it was. Your persistence is not <laughs> under... Uh, I will never <laughs> underestimate you, Paul. Well, thank you. <laughs> Don't ever come for me, please. <laughs> <laughs> I'm hunting you down. <laughs> so I said, you know, I'm here in town. I would love to see you. If you don't want to see me, while I'm here, I, you'll never hear from me again. Mm. But I thought I'd give you an opportunity to, to meet your only son, your firstborn, uh, while I'm in town. And respectfully, I won't share this with anybody, but I thought you might want to meet me. She said, uh, you know what? Let's go ahead and do that. Wow. And I was shocked, you know. And uh, so she said, I'll meet you at the... I spent a lot of time in Marriott, so I'll meet you at the Worc- <laughs> Worcester Marriott um, uh, for, uh, for lunch. So I was elated. I hung up the phone. I was celebrating. I can't believe this. I'm going to meet my mother. And uh, this was a very emotional time. Uh, so I drive there the following morning, 
and I'm really, in my mind, adoptees out there can relate to this. Um, in my mind, I pictured her as kind of a older, frumpy, blue-class mm-hmm. woman, housekeeper. Yeah. You know. Um, well, I get there and uh, park in the parking garage, and I see this woman walking behind me by herself, behind my car. Tall, blonde, business suit, mm-hmm. um, really professional-looking. And I said, no, that, that can't be her. Mm-hmm. So I'm waiting, waiting. Nobody else is coming. Mm-hmm. Right? So I said, okay, let me get out. Maybe she came in a different entrance. So I went into the lobby, and she's sitting there mm-hmm. uh, by herself. And I lost it. I had, had to go to the restroom and uh, gather my, yeah. gather everything together, uh-huh. get myself together, and threw water in my face. And it really overwhelmed me. Um, so then I came out to the lobby and I approached her and she said, Paul? And I said, yeah. She goes, is this Peggy? And she goes, yeah. And she gave me this big hug and we embraced. And I looked over her shoulder and all of the front desk clerks in the hotel were crying. Uh, because apparently she shared with them what, the about story. the story. And they were very emotional. And it was just an emotional time I'll never forget. And so we sat down in the coffee shop for like three hours, and uh, she shared with me what happened. And uh, she had a lot of bitterness and resentment mm-hmm. towards my birth dad because she felt like it was all right. He, he pursued her, and she was younger, and he's off this war at this war hero, and everything's fine for him. But and she scorned, and she scorned, and the whole community looks at her with, um, you know. Uh, you know, with not not a good perception. So uh, that's the only time I saw her, mm-hmm. and uh, we had a, we had phone conversations for a couple of years after. But at one point, uh, after the last conversation I had with her, she said, "Paul, I just can't do this anymore. And mm-hmm. you, you don't understand. I've been going through therapy on this, um, seeing psychiatrists about this my entire life, and here you are popping in. Um, it's just not doing me any good." Mm. So that hurt. Um, yeah. yeah. You know, we've got listeners out there that are, are probably going through a million emotions right now. Yeah. And, and I'm thinking at this, you know, there's there's love, there's rejection, there's a late... I mean, I've never seen such a mix of emotion. Yeah. Yeah, there, there was. So it was up and down and everything else. But I had to set the bar to a place of an expectation that was low. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and if... I was able to get anything. If I was able to get the missing pieces of the puzzle of my identity filled in and my health issues filled in, then it was a win. Mm -hmm. Uh, But there were big pieces of me that said, you know what, I would love to meet my half-brothers and sisters. I'd love to have a relationship with with, with all that. So uh, unfortunately, that didn't happen. Uh, I did have a seven-year relationship with my dad secretly mm. um, over the phone, and when I came to Massachusetts, he would meet with me, and that was a really special time. Yeah. And uh, he actually um, was the one that uh, brought me back to my faith and encouraged me to pursue my faith and said that my journey was um, certainly not on my own, that uh, he felt that God's hand was in it, and that a lot of good would come out of this. So um, uh, from there, I became a Christian. And uh, fast forward a number of years, and I ended up becoming a men's pastor at uh, Saddleback Church and then Mariner's Church. I mean, you followed your dad's footsteps. I followed his footsteps. I mean, you know, uh, in a lot of ways. So he really inspired me. 
to uh, include faith in my daily walk, and uh, it's been life-changing. So, I mean, this journey, this, in, like, did it, do you think it changed you as a person, or how do you think this entire, you know, journey really affected who Paul is? Yeah, it, it changed me dramatically. Um, I was the poster child for the selfish, um, career-minded person mm-hmm. who just wanted to... Um, uh, well, let me go back a couple of steps. What I've learned through all of this is that when you experience abandonment and rejection, that in many cases you are looking for acceptance, affirmation, and validation that you aren't getting from your parents. Mm-hmm. And so I was rejected by my birth parents, and then my relationship with my adopted dad really wasn't all that great, and it was pretty clear to me that it wasn't his idea to adopt me. It was my adopted mother's idea, and she's wonderful. But my adopted dad never gave me the time of day, never gave me acceptance validation. So what I ended up doing was taking the path of pursuing this acceptance and validation in other parts of my life. I did it through sports. Uh, I did it through getting the next big title at work, mm-hmm. and didn't realize until much later in my life after this journey that uh, I was, there was really a void there that I was trying to fill mm-hmm. almost every day of my life. And so when I then became a man of faith, I realized that I really didn't have to pursue that anymore, that God loved me, mm-hmm. and uh, he was my father, and I didn't have to work so hard to um, validate and find acceptance. You know, so... Uh, that that was life changing for me. It really was. Yeah. And the the, th- the when we were talking before the show, you had mentioned something that the kind of who am I? Yes. You know, that yeah. that essence of you know that, that who am I as a human being as a person? Um, you you felt like because this experience happened, you were able to kind of answer that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, we talked earlier about this, and I've talked to a lot of adopted people about this and children. Um, there are those missing pieces of the puzzle. You don't feel linked, and you ask the question, who am I? Um, I felt like, from the movie with Tom Hanks, Castaway, mm. you know, I felt like I was on an island where nobody really looked like me. Nobody, um, I just wasn't a part of a genealogy or a family. I didn't even know my, my, uh, uh, my background. I didn't know if I was Irish or Catholic or uh, my denomination. I didn't know anything. So... Um, that's, a, that's an important awareness, I think, for people out there that aren't adopted is that um, most adopted children out there, at least in the people that I've talked to, uh, they're seeking that. Mm-hmm. They're seeking some kind of acceptance and linkage. And uh, so, yeah, so that, that's something that uh, I wanted to bring awareness to is, uh, yeah, we all seem to need some kind of a link as to... What, what are we linked to? What family background do we have? And uh, answering the question, who am I? And, and those, yeah. you know, other adoptees out there listening and people who work with adoptees, you know, what the story, the, the book Secrets of the Father, a true story of a young man's search for his birth parents that lead to a discover of a scandalous cover-up. But for those of the, the listeners out there, what do you really want your story to impact or how do you really want it to impact them? Uh, well, I'd really like to give them uh, just let them know that they're not alone if they are feeling the same feelings that I had of being alone and not having that linkage to your birth family um, that uh, to maybe pursue 
uh, a search to maybe pursue your faith and just get get the answers to those missing pieces to your puzzle because you'll feel more complete. I uh, remember the movie uh, with Tom Cruise where she said, you complete me. Mm-hmm. Uh, this journey did complete me. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it f- I can't begin to tell you uh, what a difference that makes when you do f- know who you are. You can't answer that question, who am I? So that's one thing. The other is if you do go on a search that you're sensitive to the people that are involved in that search mm-hmm. and that you set your expectations at a place where you may be disappointed. Um, because when I was growing up, you know, you'll read in the book, if you, if you read it, um, that I thought that my parents could possibly be kings and queens, that they could be wealthy people living on the hill, and I can't wait to find them, you know. But in many cases, uh, your birth parents don't necessarily want to see you, and they've got their own lives. And so you have to set that expectation uh, that you may be disappointed but I can tell you if you just get one inkling of information that helps you um, define your identity, it's worth it. It's worth the search. Even if you know, even if you find out your dad is in jail and your mother, with all due respect, if, if they were prostitutes or whatever, at least you know. You can answer the who am I. Who am I questions, yeah. right? And that you are different. Now, you don't have to follow the same legacy perhaps that your birth parents had, that you can change that legacy, uh, that linkage. Um, so that, so the expectation piece as well uh, is something I want to get out there. Yeah. You know, I, uh, we've got listener questions, and I apologize that I wasn't able to get to all the listener questions, people calling in and writing in today. Um, but I do want to mention um, a comment that just came in here from Anna Marie in Florida. She wrote, my father was adopted, and his parents refused to ever tell him who his real parents were. It was not until they both had passed that our great aunt told me in confidence that he was the illegitimate son of one of my uncles who passed from cancer when my dad was less than a year old. I did tell my dad, but he said it was too late in life to care. I could tell he holds hurt and bad feelings in his heart about it. I just wanted to share that this is a theme that truly stuck my heart, and I look forward to reading your book. And that's from Anna Marie. Oh, wonderful. Wonderful. Oh, that, that right there is just worth the... Uh Two and a half hours in traffic this morning. <laughs> I mean, you know, yes. Paul, you uh, you came up, it took you three hours, but your story is it's it's amazing. It, it obviously brings everyone to tears listening. That read the book, the book "Secrets of the Father: A True Story of a Young Man's Search for His Birth Parents" that lead to a discover of a scandalous cover up. Everyone out there, grab the book. But before you go, Paul, I have to ask you one question. Okay. And one of Alan and I's favorite things is to hear our favorite stories of of life experience. Have you heard a story similar to yours since you've written the book? It's ironic you should ask that question, Matt, because just last week I met a gentleman who's the same age as I am right now. He's 58, and uh, we met through a work environment piece. In fact, I'm going to see him in about an hour here. Um, We're meeting again. Mm. But uh, he, he called me, was it last Saturday? And he said, Paul, can you be available to give an interview to somebody on Monday afternoon? He's an executive recruiter mm-hmm. here in the area. And I said, yeah, sure, I can be, do that. But uh, I, I've got a, I'm on a radio show that day. He was all, what is it about? And I told him. <laughs> and he said, you've got to be kidding me. I'm adopted. And I said, oh. He goes, and I went on a search for my birth parents. And I said, you're kidding me. And so I said, well, you need to read my book. It'll really touch you, I think. So he downloaded my book on Kindle. And he said he was going to read just one chapter on Sunday. He calls me Sunday night and says, Paul, 
um, my day turned out very different. I ended up reading your book from cover to cover, and it's really impacted me. Mm. And uh, I want to sit down with you for a couple of hours and just talk through some of these things. So he shared um, some of the same things that I went through, that uh, wow. there was a missing link, that he's struggled with his identity, but it's all good. He's also a man of faith, mm-hmm. as I am. Wow. And that's really helped him quite a bit. So, th- so that's just a recent story that uh, hit close to home. Uh, that was I thought was was awesome. And to yeah. those interested in their book, uh, Amazon. Where else are we looking? Yeah, it's on Amazon. Uh, it's also uh, Barnes and Noble, and uh, locally here, it's in some of the church uh, bookstores in Orange County and Los Angeles. Um, but that's probably the best way to get it, just uh, off of Amazon or. Uh, uh, Barnes and Noble, yeah. Paul Aubin, great story, great guest, incredible day. I am so, so, so thankful for you being on the show. Oh, well, well, thank you, Matt. Appreciate it. And uh, I hope uh, some of the listeners out there uh, were impacted and inspired. I would imagine. And, yeah. and listeners, please be sure to put us on your calendar and tune in next week when our guest, Bob Emai, will discuss Ryu Okawa's new book, Think Big, Be Positive, Be Brave to Achieve Your Dreams. And if you missed or you want to share our show with your friends, Please please visit our archives of past interviews at AnswersForTheFamily.com. You may also subscribe or resubmit your name to download your free copy of the Attitude of Gratitude Journal, your 21-day guide to achieving the quality of thankfulness through self-discovery. And the next time you are on Facebook and Twitter, please remember to stop by our page and check out some of our latest posts. And if you like them, please like us and spread the word. I hope Alan gets his voice back, feels better. We'll be in studio next week. And thank you all for listening to Answers for the Family. You're listening to Answers for the Family with Alan Cardoza and Matt Polachek, only on LA Talk Radio.